Welcome to this very special Amazing Race Canada 4 episode of You Are Seen Them with the Amazing Race podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone and joining me as always is my Canadian friend who's very, very patient with my internet issues, Logan Saunders. Morning. And I'm very pleased to say that joining us today is the guy who, thanks to unforeseen circumstances, is still able to join us today. It's Lowell Taylor. hey oh, Happy to be here. Finally. The, the saga of this podcast is continuing. We, we don't really like to date it, but we were meant to be recording this ten days ago, and, you know, I still didn't have internet. Woohoo! We're a very patient lot here in Canada. Yeah, so uh, so this is quite a, a last-minute, oh shit, we've got to release this in, like, four days of, of me with my mobile website over there just just using up all my data. We're, we're, we're so Canadian, Michael, that we're apologizing to you for your internet issues. I know. It's so nice. So how has life been, guys, since we spoke last? Life continues to be up and down roller coaster. I race for Cycling Canada, and at that time we were talking, my pilot had had an injury, so we weren't going to be going to the World Cup, the final World Cup this year, but I found out as of today that my pilot is up and running again, and we are good to return to play, and we're going to go back and represent Canada on home soil here in uh, the end of August, so it's awesome. That's good news. Very good news. I wasn't ready to be done yet. Yeah, don't finish business. Just, just like uh, how I feel about the Amazing Race, <laughs> and like anybody who doesn't finish feels, there's that longing. Yeah. Especially when you watched it back and saw that you know Monty just chucked an express pass in the canal that you could have used. Ah, oh, yeah, that express pass that uh, Steph and Chris should have given us. Yeah, they should have. Yeah, they're mean. Yeah. They're mean Canadians. Kind of, but yeah, they chose the wrong team. Yeah, we'll, we'll just say it straight. What have you been up to, Logan? Aside from planning your I'm, world tour. Yes, I am. As of Saturday, I give my boss at the pharmacy four months notice because I am going to travel around the world starting in Ooh. December. Is that actually traveling around the world or Amazing Race Canada traveling around the world? No, 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 actually tra- tra- traveling around the world. I'm flying to Japan and then I've got 15 countries planned out and a bunch of people I so far I can stay with uh, around four different continents and I'll have enough saved up by then because I'm working close to 60 hours a week now so I'll be I'll be all set plus I'll have a online job that I'll can still that I still have to uh, do some work on while I'm on the road awesome yeah it's epic trip very jealous they say to do it while you're young yeah, Julie and I traveled right when we got married. We we took off and we went for a year. So we did 10 months in New Zealand. We lived there and then we did a month in Australia and a month in Thailand. And it just, then we came home, had babies and careers and we're, we're itching for the next trip. Where would be next? Well, right now, all the focus is on Japan and Tokyo for 2020 Paralympics. Um, but Julie's really wanting to go back to Thailand and hit Southeast Asia again. And we didn't really get to see much of it in uh, Vietnam when we were there on The Amazing Race. So we'd love to go back and explore that more at Cambodia and see some other areas there. Um, and I really want to go to South Africa. And I had a, a cousin who lived in South Africa and then Zanzibar. So those are two places I'd like to go check out right now, too. Freddie Mercury House. Yeah, Freddie Mercury's House. Yeah, that's uh, what season was that? Is it 2029? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'd. I think right around the corner there, they were doing some beach stuff. My, my cousin lived right in that area. Would it make you jealous to know that I'm, I'm doing a bit of Southeast Asia in October? 
Ah, uh, very jealous. Yes, I'm gonna spend most of today just being jealous of you. You do. You, you should be, to be fair. I know yeah. you've got a wedding later today, but yeah, you should be jealous of us. That's that's what we're here for. Yeah. Well, it's it's not it's not my wedding later today. I wouldn't expect you to be podcasting with us if it was your wedding today. And also, I'm sure Julie would have some concerns about that. Yeah, priority check for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing Beijing to Singapore in the back half of the year. Oh, amazing. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. We've got about eight and uh, nine weeks tomorrow till the cruise set sails, actually. So, yeah, it's about eight and a half weeks till we fly. Who do you travel with? Uh, well, we're on going on Royal Caribbean again for the cruise. Um, but we're flying with British Airways. You went very literal with the airline, but I'm, who, who typically do you travel with, uh, like a companion? Oh, with my brother. Okay, cool. Yeah, we tend to do this <laughs> with the two of us, but uh, mum and dad tag along occasionally as well. Yeah, so you went to British Airways, another I, I, Amazing Race Canada alumni, so we're only allowed to travel Air Canada. Very true, even even when it's only a supporting partner, like in your season. One of my favourite little things to find out. We totally ticked people off. We, just, we got the preferred treatment, um, getting onto airlines like and the airplanes first. So everybody who's paid for their business class in zone one, and we just tromp on with a whole bunch of racers, all the camera and sound crew and all the other production people. We take up all the overhead bins, kick people off the plane. This flight is now overfilled. And yeah, it was, it's chaos. That happens almost every flight. I know many flights, the smaller the flight. Um, I remember that the first time it was just like an eye opening when we were flying up, we we're still in, um, sequester mode, like human trafficking, moving everybody from Toronto to Yellowknife. And from Calgary to Yellowknife, we got on this tiny little plane and we filled it up, but we had passed the weight limit. So they had to kick eight people off the flight. Yeah, people weren't too happy. Um, and then on the bigger international flights, it wasn't a big deal. But some of the smaller flights, um, it became became an issue with no, no space for overhead and people having to check below. But no, none of the racers are going to check it underneath. Um, and none of the production crew can, so it has to be all the other people on the plane forced to do it. I just love the idea of a, a Tanai announcement going on and going, there's eight people who are too fat for this plane, get off. Stanley, Phyllis! <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been up to since uh, your season of the race finished? Man, yeah, life's been a whirlwind. So since then, I, I quit my job. I was a full-time, worked. At, I'm a psychologist working for the provincial healthcare um, life just got too busy. So I took a leave of absence to race bikes and, um, yeah. So continuing to chase the dream, I'm on the cycling Canada's para cycling. So I do track and road cycling. And then we started to do motivational speaking. It just, people kept asking us to speak and we did. And now they apparently pay you to do that stuff and they pay quite well. So, um, it's been neat. Julie and I've been cruising around and doing uh, public speaking gigs and then we got picked up to do another tv show it's called mindset go on a on a canadian television series um, network here called ami and yeah it's going into season two so we're recording season two right now at the end of august we go back to vancouver to film the final part so lots has been going on it's been a huge whirlwind yeah sounds like it i mean when we were stumbling through trying to record last time we were uh, sharing our mutual love of cycling and the fact that i work very close to the velodrome now yeah and you you definitely have to try have you been on a single bike velodrome uh i have been to on that velodrome before yeah and it scared the living hell out of me because <laughs> it for, it's so steep at points for people who don't don't know what a velodrome is it's an indoor track but it's hard to tell how steep that really is 
when you see it on TV. But if you don't go fast enough, if you're not going above 25 kilometers an hour, your bike will fall off. Like you have to be going fast enough. Um, you see people in races all the time. Um, some of the slower races slide right off the track. You can never stop pedaling because you're on a fixie. There are no brakes. And you get up to speeds of about 60 kilometers an hour. So it's so intense. Yeah, my lasting memory of my session at the velodrome was just the guy screaming, keep pedaling at everyone. Yeah. Because it's, I think the, the Manchester velodrome goes up to about 48, 49 degrees on the corners. Yeah, and every track, they're all different lengths. And with the different lengths, they'll put different uh, grade on the edges. So it's hard to know, but each one can be a bit different. But they're pretty steep. You can't, you can't walk on them, you'll fall right off. No, you don't realize until you're actually standing at the bottom and you're going, oh my God, that is so steep. How the hell am I actually going to pedal around that corner? <laughs> and on on our bikes, you have to start with a starting gate and it counts down, three, two, one, and let's go. And you have to start pedaling half a length before you get to that corner. So if you haven't got fast enough, then then kind of game over already. And on a tandem, it's it's twice as hard because there's the two people trying to keep balance. It's It's super fun. I thought a palindrome was a word that's the same forwards as it is backwards. <sighs> Good try, Logan. We're going to have to get you on a bike. <laughs> I do feel like it would be a very entertaining thing to see Logan be taught to ride a bike by you. <laughs> the blind guy I'm doing it, Lol. I'm doing it. <laughs> Watch out for that tree. Ugh. Yeah. You, you ride I'll one tell of the you, George of the Jungle. <laughs> yeah my new theme song yeah I, I just love the idea that logan's sort of there with his stabilizers on his bike just going i'm doing it and to uh, training wheels yeah and it, <laughs> he, he's just taught by a blind guy to do it yeah you you, you got to get good at that because if i need another pilot one day you can you can jump on the front and go race around the world with me yeah logan. it's another way to get traveling oh but, we could be like et style like shoot up to outer space or something sure I'm not sure you'll fit in a wicker basket, Logan. I can really fold my legs then. Contort. I can contort myself, Michael. It would be incredibly difficult for Lowell anyway, because he would ha be having to balance and wouldn't be able to guide it if you weren't sat there pedaling for him. Or pedaling with him. You need to think of Lowell in this situation. So selfish. How much biking do you do? I don't do as much as I used to. I used When I was in my old job, I used to just sort of take off for about five hours at a time on my day off during the week. But um, now I work a sort of nine to five job. It's much, much more difficult. And especially as I'm in this temporary place at the moment, I've not actually brought my bike with me. So I'm a bit out of practice, but... Yeah, it's, it's, but you have some good hills near you, so... I do. I have oh. some, some very big hills near me. I ride through London sometimes on Zwift and do some... Box Hill and some of those other ones around there. Fox Hill. Oh, we've got some, we've got some uh, steeper ones than that up north. I'm probably about 200, 250 miles away from London. And we have some very hilly bits around here. Nice. If you remember when the, um, when the Tour de France started in the UK, one of those hills is very near me. Oh, the, uh, awesome. The steep ones. So yeah, that was a, uh, a, a nice cycling detail there for you. It was. We, we got to cycle on our season... Yeah. And we were so excited. We run up and there are road bikes. And like, this is this is my jam. This is what I do. And it ended up being like 200 meters around a park. Uh, I was so disappointed. I thought like this is like if, if it was a 40K bike or something where we could really get some distance. But it was like around a corner and we had to go. We can't go quicker than the um, golf carts that were filming us. <laughs> so, so it was pretty disappointing. 
And also the added fun of, you know, you not being on the bike with Julie, literally, so having to make sure you're not going off the track. Yeah, yeah, I was just following behind her, howling like wolves. It actually, that that was fun. It was that mech trifecta, and they weren't very hard. Nothing was very difficult for the first bunch of episodes. Um, lots of female teams kind of hoping to win, I think, so the, the tasks were quite easy physically, which we were sad about. We wanted some more hard challenges but that one was, was pretty fun and then Jem, uh, Jemmet or <laughs> Emmett and Jillian they were helping us with that one too and we were cruising around together and so it was actually one of it was one of the top memories it was pretty fun so how did you guys actually get cast for the race did you apply uh well we're a pretty big deal in Canada I don't know if you know that so I mean they've, I am aware they've been trying that. to get us they've been trying to get us on for years <laughs> <laughs> you had to wait till they it fit your schedule not not theirs yeah yeah exactly when it was when it was good for us we said yo Bix stop asking us that's Bickerton or that's what we call him or dad is his other name no we so it's it's a long story but we traveled lots and people kept, and we'd had a running blog for many, many years since we got engaged. And people kept saying, hey, you guys would be perfect for Amazing Race. But at that time, it was only in the States. So we kind of chuckled and said, thanks. And then when it was released in Canada, at that point, we were starting a family and it wasn't, wasn't great timing. But at that season, so season four casting came out and we was like, well, we have a three-year-old and a four-year-old, but it seems like we could possibly leave them. Julie's parents are amazing and part of our support system and they were willing to take them. So we told them, Hey, we're thinking about applying for this amazing race. And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. Fine. Go for it. Because we've done a lot of crazy things before that never panned out. They said, yep. And then we, we made our video and passed it along and we got before casting was closed. We got our email back saying, Hey, here's the next step. And we filled out all the questions and they, they want to know everything about you. So lots and lots of questions we made it to the casting interview with being recorded in a hotel room um, by a bunch of men and women, which is interesting. Um, not the first time, won't be the last. <laughs> wow. No, just too, too much info. Sounds like one of Logan's videos, that. that Daddy yeah. Bix has some very interesting methods, it sounds like. Yeah, they, they clear out, yeah, I cleared a hotel room with it, like no bed or anything and just set up a little interview space and Super cool. Um, we were treated like gold all the way through the entire process. Um, Mark Lazikowski, showrunner, was there. A um, bunch of the casting people. Super fun. And then we realized at this stage, we're either going to make it, like they really will want us, or we wouldn't have made it this far. Because you can't, you can't cast a blind guy without making some concessions, right? There's, and not that they're going to make the show any easier, but there are just certain things you can't, you can't make racers do. Or at least make it a detail where there's another option for you to do. Exactly. So I think there had to be some, as they're designing the year, they, I think they wanted us. And so we had a lot of check marks. We had the, the humor, we had the, the married couple thing and the disability. So it, it seemed to keep going. We did psychological testing, which as a psychologist, I cheated on. And then it just kept going. And it was finally actually at the interview. It was past that. We didn't even tell Julie's parents that we had got the interview in Calgary. We told nobody because it's all this non-disclosure agreements. We finally are getting that the call they're going to do a skype call for some more information and we're like you know what there's a chance we we should get on we might get on we better ask so we asked them again if it's the julie's parents if it was okay if they actually took our children for the amount of time and uh the next day we got called and told that we were we we're going so it's a long process but they know what they want they're they're reaching out for stories and people who are going to be fun on tv and i, I think casting does a really good job 
and I know you guys have some qualms about some of the choices, but in general, there's from what they from they get from you, from the amount of information they get and the calling process, um, it's pretty neat the kind of people that they're able to to cast. Yeah, I wouldn't say that we necessarily have qualms about the casting normally for Amazing Race Canada. Outside of the current season, we've been pretty high on the casting. It's the rest of the show that kind of lets it down for us, I think. Having said that, they obviously have enough sense in the casting not to cast Logan for five years on the trot, so what can I say? (laughs) No Amazing Race Canada after four auditions, and no Big Brother Canada after six auditions. Oh, for ten. Big Brother Canada 7 is uh, open for casting now. Again, are you applying? Or are you... Yes, yes, I will be. I figure I have to apply till I'm at least 30, and then I feel like I wouldn't be applying as frequently after that with it just being me and like my brother-in-law. <laughs> but then there's Wayne, who will probably apply until he's like 80 and in a, in a retirement home, I'm sure. And also, you have the added motivation of the fact that it would be the only time I would ever cover Amazing Race Canada again. Yes, that's the whole... That's that's going to be my pitch to them and increase publicity for our podcast michael just the one episode until you're eliminated <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna take a, a penalty on the first episode the first challenge oh, there'll be, be a like... first task will be a cycling roadblock that i yeah. that they <laughs> trick me with the clue saying oh i don't know who who loves to go for a run or something like that and ends up being some sort of special bike and then i'm just screwed or it'd be what's a who likes a palindrome or paladon, and then I just assume it's a it's going to be a word based challenge. That's when I'd be really screwed. They just put the clue box outside a, a massive velodrome, and you go, "Hmm, I think this will be the sort of task for me." <laughs> yes. If if you get cast, I'll uh, I'll take your spot on the podcast with Michael. We can review the season. Deal. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot of special guests while I'm on. Oh, a hundred percent. All twelve weeks that I last. So the one episode you're in, yeah. Well, actually, no, too, because you'd appear at the finish line. Well, then I would be used as a decoy racer. They'll bring that back, so you can. It'll be like Where's Waldo, where he just spot me uh, uh, trailing the teams. Well, to be fair, for years I have talked about getting people on to roast you as uh, the amazing race roast of Logan Saunders. So we could bring that idea back. Twenty twenty. That's our vision, Michael. Ah, uh, the vision for twenty twenty. Is there not a certain deal of irony in holding a Paralympics in twenty twenty? Well, not all not all Paralympians are blind, but I think for us visually impaired ones, I think it's it's yeah, it's too good to not be true. Yeah, it's too good a pun. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, speaking of the puns, I I do have a bit of a a beef with the uh, the editors because they gave me a four puns per episode, a four PPE. Um, so there were many more than that that got cut on the editing floor. Are there any more that you can remember to to regale us with? Uh, well, it was actually nonstop, so I think there was probably a reason. I don't think people would want to tune in. We actually had some of the crew, they would, they'd be texting back and forth, so the sound men are always communicating back and forth with where we are in position and what's going on and storylines and stuff. After one of the more brilliant puns, one of their sound guys said, you know, Lowell, when you tell a pun, it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts everybody. Because they, they texted it to everybody else. It was, it was good times. It's surprising that they didn't add in uh, more puns into the episode, but I guess when you're an editor, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Ah, bazoo. <laughs> oh, I set the bar low today. Never mess with the best, because the best don't mess. Yeah. <laughs> you're playing with fire if you if you punzling with lol. Yeah, but it's all, it's all situational. There's actually... Oh, the crew is so amazing. So there's... The, the cameraman and the salmon. One of the cameramen, his name's Shifty, um, he got 
I think it was a hockey injury when he was a kid, but he only has one eye. So he's looking through the camera with that one good eye as he's running around the world. His name's Shifty, but he's quite the punster. So the leg that we did from Jasper to through Calgary, we had him. And it was just like nonstop puns the entire time. It was pretty awesome. Is that just a blind guy thing? It was a blind guy. It must. I had, you know what? There must be a correlation there. The more you know. The more you know. We figured it out. I'm proud of us. Yeah, Apparently on the Amazing Race, Amazing Race, deaf people are sinister, blind people just make lots of puns. That is the new run. I'm the only blind guy that's been on a franchise. Were there more than one in deaf? You're the only blind guy who's ever been on Amazing Race, ever. Yeah, that's that's my claim to fame. I'll, I'll have that put on my, on my tombstone, I think, my epitaph. In about 80 seasons. So you've got some claim to fame, at least. Some Some claim to fame. Was there only the one, I can't remember his name, from the Amazing Race US? Was he, he was deaf, Luke. Was there more than him? Uh, Adrian from uh, Amazing Race Asia 2. He actually won. Oh, wow. See, you got something to live up to, lol. Yeah, for the all-star season, right? Let's be honest, you guys would be invited back. Whether Julie's parents would approve, we're not sure, but you guys would come back. There is something so crazy about this race. It, like, gets inside your... I don't know, it like changes your DNA or something. Just, and I don't know how many other racers, if other racers are listening, but there's this, as soon as it's done, you live in this period of what if, running through all the scenarios of what if we would have done that, what if that would have happened. And we have some of our own what if moments from our elimination day. So everybody's got these moments. And then there's this piece about if I do it again, would you do it again? That like dream that one day there might be an all-stars and maybe you'd get invited back. Like it just... So, so interesting. And every year kind of just thinking, oh, wonder, wonder what they do next season and wonder if we would get invited back and could we do it? And yeah, it's pretty fun. I think that's an itch that just goes for being on TV generally. It's just an itch that you can't scratch because I know this from quiz shows and like, it's just an itch you can't scratch. You just want to do more. Yeah, it, it's a weird kind of addiction. And I, the Amazing Race, it's, for me, I don't know about being on TV in general, but there's something about the race and the desire to travel, see the world, compete. Um, it's just the height of emotion. It's like that pre-race jitter you get before a bike race or running race or, or before a big performance, but you live in that for five weeks acutely as you're during production. But even that the months beforehand preparing and then the months afterwards during airing it's just it's such an intense feeling and it, it has this like one year pretty intense feeling i found and talked to lots of racers too and then it does decrease but it's still kind of always there how much um notice did you get that you were going to be on the race uh i can't quite remember the timeline now i'd have to go back but we're like two months by the time we like were confirmed that's a lot more than i was expecting yeah we've heard a lot a lot less for the American racers, special, especially uh, the certain Big Brother team from season 30. I think their notice was more in the days realm rather than the weeks and months realm. And I think the first season, they, they were a lot tighter. Their deadline was shorter. Everything was a bit rushed. Um, ours, because they started casting in November. So the process, we do our casting interview, I think, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but like even in December. So it it, it runs before and so they you're kind of living in it from november that point where each next step you're still thinking and planning and dreaming and and looking at what you'd bring and what you wouldn't bring and all those pieces and trying to get your life in order 
but yeah, we had a decent amount of time. And then there, there's the people though, that are alternates. And those are the ones that would be a struggle because they're, they did the whole process and they're just on hold for if anything happens to any of the other racers, some of them are switched out and others just never make it. So that would be the hard one to be is that alternate position. Any alternates on your season? I don't think so. I think they were all original cast. There were some from previous seasons. Like I even think Brett and Sean were an alternate from the year before. And um, we heard that there were a few. It doesn't happen often. And then Stefan, he had some medical crises. So they they were originally cast, but he almost um, had to fall out for an alternate right at the last minute. So they were just finally cleared medically like right beforehand. So that was that was pretty close. That would be nerve-wracking as hell. <laughs> So you mean the guy who ended up basically getting medevaced from the race had medical issues? Ah, <laughs> uh, the irony. I love Stefan and Ad's one, but that doesn't shock me at all. My no, favorite we, Dennis Hopper quote. We love those guys, Stefan and Antoine, and um, felt so bad for him. He just that that day was like fifty-five degrees with the humid X in Vietnam, and we did it all outside with no shade, and we were all de- like dehydrated and hadn't eaten, and like. He just spent way too much time out in the sun and his body took a toll. He couldn't walk for like two weeks afterwards. His feet were all swollen up and cracked. And then he didn't want to talk. He's, he has post-traumatic duck syndrome. And he came home and the first meal that his wife gave him after like the sequester time, he, she made him a duck soup <laughs> and she didn't know. <laughs> so it was this big, he like had this big triggering moment, like coming back from Nam. <laughs> actually coming back from vietnam that's hilarious yeah i can believe it was vietnam anytime vietnam comes up on these interviews i i tell my vietnam stories but it was just so hot when i was there i did ho chi minh city as well when i uh when i last went to asia it was just so warm yeah and it's a warm you can't shake i mean unless you're in a building because they have air conditioning but anywhere outside like just the air is so hot and you're so humid you don't yeah you can't cool down um, but we, we were treated awesome by crew. They had waters nonstop. Like normally you're not supported all around the world, but in Vietnam, I think that would be the case in any of these really hot countries. They'll have water stations. They'll have, um, electrolytes. Oh, I have a funny, remind me to tell you the funny story about elect- electrolytes. Um, but they, so they're giving you water all the time and having little stations and then they like wet bandanas and things like they don't want people to have any struggle, but Anne and Tanya, so Anne and Tanya, they, they had a bit of a, a struggle there. I think Tan um, got overheated and, and uh, blasted through that, through that task. But then we, were, we spent three hours with them. We got lost. They kept, people kept sending us to Mekong Resort instead of Mekong Hotel. And so we, we were way off. We did like a half marathon out in the heat. Our crew had to start walking. They made us stop walking because it was just too hot. So they were taking care of us and making sure we had water, but they weren't themselves. And for the first time in Amazing Race history that we heard, they actually paused the entire race because our crews had to be swapped out. They went to the hospital and uh, they gave us new crews to finish the leg with. So they paused the, the entire day with everybody, every racer, wherever they were. A bunch had already finished, and then they sent in new crews for us, for Anna, Tanya, and ourselves. So it was it was that hot, like it was just hours and hours of out in the sun and heat with no reprieve. Yeah, I can believe it. Are you going to Vietnam on your world tour, Logan? Um, possibly. I have a list of fifteen countries, and Vietnam is my alternate. Oh, that's that alternate. I think it's reasonably cheap for you to get the visas. Yes, it is. Yeah, Vietnam's 
like pretty much the cheapest country, one of the cheapest countries for Canadians to go to. And you know, there's a certain degree of uh, iconic, amazing race locations you can go to. There's a hell of a lot of them. <laughs> Everything that Flo and Zach ever did would take up the whole trip itself. <laughs> and the whole Brook and Scott meltdown as well. Floyd fainting, I gotta go to where... There's so many racers that have fainted in Vietnam that I feel like that could be like a couple days. <laughs> hey, Tanya fainted here, Floyd yeah. fainted here, Stefan went delirious here with the ducks, <laughs> Flo had a meltdown here and there. That'd be a good meme, yeah, like a good uh, the fainting in Vietnam. <laughs> it's the new planking. The new planking, yes. The fainting goats, the, the fainting humans in Vietnam. Okay, so I have, an, I have a, a story, and this is it's a true story. We were doing uh, post-race interviews. So after every leg, you, you do the leg, and then the teams, in order from finishing, will do that, the interview with the showrunners, the storytellers, um, I guess storytellers and the, and the crew. So they'll ask you all about the day in first person. That's what they kind of slice through the show. And some of those go really late. In Vietnam, we did ours at like 3 a.m. after the Ho Chi Minh City leg. But they start to get late, and so they, they have to keep changing the lighting. And one guy said to one of the local, they'll use local crews for a lot of the information, for a lot of the, for running around and, and grabbing stuff. He said they needed more, people were like drinking all of the electrolyte drink. So they said, can you go get us more electrolytes? And this guy came back with a box of Christmas lights because he went and got electric lights. <laughs> so there's, there's the electrolyte, electrolyte, electric lights story from Vietnam. So that's why in the confessionals, everyone has like red and green reflections uh, onto them. Yeah, all <laughs> the, the Christmas lights. Episode. Yeah, yeah. It's the nightlife in, uh, in Ho Chi Minh City, the Christmas lights. Guide your light, or whatever that song is called. Shine your light. Shine your light. It's been two years, Michael. Come on. <laughs> I rewatched the Lowell and Julie highlights earlier, including Shine Your Light. All right. Oh, that was good. That was a lot of fun. That was Julie's favorite, favorite leg in total. We, when you're not around other racers, it's a lot easier to enjoy yourself. We found it's just you're not getting caught up in what they're doing or any of the drama. You just did your thing. So we were alone the entire day in Ho Chi Minh City. And that day, we just enjoyed. We had fun. We, we did all the tasks. And then the song was super fun. Yeah, great times. And we still, we still play that song for the kids and sing it around the house. I think it also helps the fact that it was a Vietnam night leg. So it was a lot cooler for you guys, at least. So there was no risk of anyone dying like Kavino did. Except for the traffic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the traffic is insane. So another reason we got so fast through that episode, when we had to eat the uh, the bugs, it's like crunchy uh, pumpkin seeds just roasted and interesting textures with centipedes and legs and stuff. But then, then they put the bat out. It was sitting there. And all I heard was, don't eat the head or the wings. But they said there was a sample plate. I didn't see the sample plate. They just oh, said... No here's your bat and don't eat the head of the wings. So I ripped off the head, ripped off the wings and I ate everything else. So I ate like the rib cage and the entire, <laughs> entire bat. <laughs> so it was done very, very quickly instead of chewing the little bits of meat off the bat. I didn't feel so good. I'm very glad we had a pit stop day in uh, Ho Chi Minh City before flying back. Yeah, you're feeling probably a bit batty during the uh, interviews. Hey, I, you're, just, I, you're just winging it, man. I was going to say that you were feeling a little bit cagey. Nice. <laughs> Stupid puns beating me to it, Logan. Ah, <laughs> uh, it all meets my needs. Oh, God. Here we go. We like to ask this as part of the quickfire questions, but do you have a go-to karaoke song on the subjects of the Vietnamese karaoke? Uh, now it will always be Shine Your Light. 
Yeah. What was it before? Uh, Barbie Girl. Maybe. <laughs> That's Logan's as well, actually. Weirdly, bit of bit of Aqua. Um, yeah, I, I, you you name it, I'll you stick it on there. I'll sing it. That's good. Bit of Backstreet Boys. Who was your favorite Backstreet Boy? That's got to be Nick, right? What about NSYNC? Yeah, I was more of a Hanson guy. Who's your favorite member of Hanson? <laughs> no, they come as a group. It's it's all about the brothers. It's all all the Hansons. There's they're like a herd. Chris was the correct answer. Chris, oh, how to catch a predator guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you said that uh, Ho Chi Minh City was uh, Julie's favorite. Like, what's your, what was yours? I just oh, I loved I loved all of Vietnam. I think that my favorite moment was in Prince Rupert on the on the tugboat. Getting to jam those logs and be a lumberjack for a bit. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. Sleep so on that and you work all day. Yeah, yeah. So I, I that was that was party time. I love that. Um, but being international really was was awesome. And I'd love to travel outside more. So if we were able to go around the world or see more things or do what most of the other most of the others do. I, I love being international. Just it made everything so much more poignant. We had more intensity of emotions, the language barrier, the taxis. It was just the currency exchange. Everything just made it much more difficult. Do the racers? Because this year, I think you're the first uh, Amazing Race Canada contestant we've interviewed. But do the contestants on your season feel a bit bummed out with the lack of international travel? Like, do they would they all prefer that more over traveling through Canada, or were there some that preferred traveling within Canada rather than nationally? Yeah, it's a good question. I haven't I haven't really discussed that. But Hal and Joe, um, Body Break, they've talked and they only did in Canada, and it's such an amazing experience. So just being in Canada, doing what we do there, and seeing the different places, that was great too. Like, it's the race is still super fun to be a part of. It's still intense. But to be able to do some international travel was awesome, and I just like to do more. And then we were out right before Cuba, and I thought that would be awesome to go there too. So it's there's always that inkling or itching that you can't you can't scratch, but wanted to do more of that. But I, I haven't talked to many other people. I don't think there's a general sense. We're all just super thankful to do the race and go wherever we get to go. Though that being said, all of our beginning was in the West. And I didn't, I didn't go on the amazing race to stay in the West. So we were in Jasper, we were in Alberta, then we were in Calgary. I'm like, man, this is where I grew up. I did not come on the amazing race to be in Calgary. So that was <laughs> like, if we better not get eliminated here. This would suck. Were there any decoy visas for your season, or was it just, uh, just Cuba and Vietnam? Uh, it's interesting. We didn't, we didn't know what the, I don't know how they ran it because we gave them our passports when we were in sequester. Uh-huh. So ahead of time, we didn't see any. And they just took our pictures for the visas during it. They said it was for something else, but we knew it was all set up. Don't smile. You're in front of a white wall and stuff. But we were we had to sign a bunch of stuff for, oh, what is that? Airborne that it was in Brazil. Zika. Zika. So Zika was a big thing. And so we had to sign a whole bunch of stuff and then say Julie wasn't pregnant at the time. So all the women had to like get pregnancy tests. And then we had to sign all the stuff away that we're going to an area that had Zika. So we thought we were going to South America. So a lot of speculation. We had no idea that Zika was also in Vietnam. So that was a big surprise. But they had mandatory. We had to be wearing bug spray all the time. So they were like continuing spraying us and so yeah, no no fake visas. We we didn't know. We had heard that in previous seasons people had known and then they had gone out somehow. I forget who the racers were. I think it was maybe Gino and Jesse. Um, had gone out and like 
researched a whole bunch of like, I don't know, I can't remember the story. It's this, this is very anticlimactic, but went out and, and researched a whole bunch of stuff on all of these, all of these areas, but we didn't get any of any of that. But they don't like traveling outside of Canada. They have everything they need right here. <laughs> Not that I've parroted that quote so many times I know it off the top of my head. Did anyone try to keep up with Frankie and Amy's drinking throughout the course of the season? No, they could drink anybody under the table from our crew. <laughs> there we yeah, we love Frankie and Amy. Um but yeah, they there's these the moments in between. So you sometimes in pit stop I don't think that production typically likes to allow you to order drinks and stuff. But when you're out on your own, you can you can drink. So at different airports and other times, um, yeah, they they were able to find some some alcohol along the way and enjoy themselves. The forces of nature are Frankie and Amy. That's the best way I can describe them. Yeah. Fire and ice. Forces of nature. There's actually a really so there's an untold storyline, and this Ooh. will be the first time it's kind of broad, but it's. And if Frankie's listening to this, it's like, we love you, Frankie. Um, but the, the beginning of the race, everybody's living in just such intense emotion. They sleep deprive you. Everything's like super poignant. Like there's whole there's a whole night leg that didn't happen on TV, but we ran through the night from Jasper. So it looked like one day, but it's one long day. So that everyone was just super tired, poor emotional regulation, like super stressful. Nobody wants to go out first. Sorry, Anthony and Brandon. Um, so you have this like really intense emotion and we had this, this is a soft alliance with Frankie and Amy and Rita and Yvette to just help each other get to the finish line for the first day. And so we cruise along and, and we get to this repelling challenge and I'm, Amy and I are like holding each other, like arm in arm, like waiting on the bridge up top would be this super fun shot of like us supporting and cheering, go Frankie, go Julie. And on the backside, there was a miscommunication. I don't really know what happened, but Frankie thought that for some reason we were canceling that support. And so she started to swear and yell at Julie and it like, it, it was this intense emotion. So I think they could have used, it would have been a really cool shot of like Frankie yelling at Julie and then Amy and I just like holding hands and like <laughs> waving back and forth on the bridge. But yeah. And then, and then they took off on us and kind of broke the alliance. We got burnt by Frankie um and it so you you played with fire and got burnt we got burnt bad and it actually for julie that was that was the most intense episode and julie's super sensitive and it played in her head for the entire like even for months after the race we we still haven't talked to frankie about it but that was and we're good now i mean we, we love them and we've met with them since but that incident we've never talked about it was just it was super hurtful for julie and then like hearing frankie tell all the other teams and stuff the next day it made it really, really hard for Julie. And and so that, I think, took Julie out of the race for a while. And it was, it was, it was interesting, the things that you wouldn't think that would, would happen, that would impact you during something like that. Oh. Yeah, there's sadness there, hey? There's, <laughs> there's a bit of sadness there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that that's, and it was hard too, because Julie was already, like, I say she's worked harder than any other um, contestant on The Amazing Race. And that might not be true, but she's my wife, so I'm going to claim that. She had to be the eyes for two. So she had to do all the driving, all the clue reading, all the navigating. So she she had to take all that extra mental load for herself. And it was just this massive amount of pressure that I couldn't help her with for a lot of those tasks. So she'd be driving and then she'd we'd have to stop to read the map because it was too the maps when we were driving and the writing was too small for me to see. So it was just 
it was so challenging. And she's missing the kids. We had a three-year-old and a four-year-old we hadn't seen in weeks um, back at home. And you can't talk to them at all. So she was like, Julie's super strong. She's wonderful. She's, um, but she's sensitive. And so some of those moments when we weren't racing, like you're in pit stop and you have nothing to do or think about, um, these things just go through your head. So the race was way harder for Julie than it was for me. Yeah, the first person without uh, glasses who had to be an actual four eyes. It's by the sounds of it. <laughs> four eyes. Oh, yes. During that first uh, roadblock task, did anybody else consider taking the time penalty? No, and it didn't make any sense. It was just bizarre. We were in the, so we were with Anthony and Brandon in the, in the cart or in the SkyTram with them. And I mean, people discussed taking the penalty and it would have made sense that it was like a four hour wait, like it took forever. So if you're at the beginning, it would have been a smart strategy before you even attempted. In theory, like time wise, you, people would have finished way faster. But they told you after the first attempt that the next time you would be harnessed and you wouldn't be carrying your own weight. Like basically they told you you'd be guaranteed to get on your second attempt. And they heard that they were we were there together. So it made no sense when they did the math to try to figure out what to do. Didn't make any sense. They didn't have the foresight to realize they would be able to get the clue. No, it's only known in hindsight for them. I think that first task is a very good example of a classic Amazing Race Canada trope. It's a big spectacle. But when you when you look at it, really, it's not necessarily a logical Amazing Race task. Because like having to wait four hours between between trips and attempts at a roadblock is just going to make people take penalties. Yeah. No, it was that one was it was epic. Like it, it that scene won awards. It was amazing. Everybody's heart rate was going. You got some really good reactions from. It was just it was intense. But it was all about what order you got there in because every team like you just you had to wait and it took forever for each of those trams to go up. It made for good TV, but it was hard as a racer to be standing there for that long. Yeah, no one should ever be just sat there twiddling their thumbs for potentially hours on end waiting for a task, unless it's an hours of operation. Yeah, and that's what we actually we found for our season, especially at the beginning. Every task was doable, or they'd make it doable. It wasn't that challenging, and it wasn't that hard. But it's really about the order you got there in. So the, the navigating and the transport was super important. I think that's Anne and Tanya would have gotten way farther in our season, but they had difficulties navigating. We had difficulties navigating as well, just the complexities of Julie having to do that. So if you got there, if you didn't get there in time, you were just in the queue for a lot of tasks. Like the, the another one, Calgary Tower, that was exactly the same. So we got to the Calgary Tower and they originally had two that were going down, but one of them broke. So you could only go down one at a time. So the same thing. All you had to do was wait in line for half an hour till the next person got down and then you get clicked up and go. There wasn't a race aspect to it. And it was just you knew the front people were going way faster. They were already way, way ahead because you're just waiting for, again, hours and hours. It turned from the Amazing Race Canada to the Amazing Q Canada. Yeah, it felt like that for especially a couple of legs and then other legs. It wasn't when you have detours and choice. It's not as much. But for those ones where it's the mandatory roadblock ones, that was the same and we got caught by that, too, at the tugboats. We arrived in time to jump on the, the little boat to get there, but the rule was only three teams could be in. So we were there. We ran onto the, to the dock, and we were there in time, but there were already three teams on it. So we had to wait an entire round of them going and coming back before we could get on 
So we just did lots and lots of waiting. And I, I know I'm sort of skipping ahead slightly, but you know how there was the prize of winning any car that you used on the race? What would have happened had you guys won that? Well, Julia uh, well, obviously would have got a car herself. But... Yeah, so we would have done what probably most everybody else done is sell them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think everybody that I know of has sold their vehicles. We would have gotten the, you find the ones that are the most expensive, the big loaded up trucks, and then you, you sell. Or we may have kept one truck and sold the other. Sell it for the LOL's uh, Tokyo Fund. Yeah. My Tokyo Fund is very dry right now. I'm sorry to hear that. It does yeah, sound I, vaguely euphemistic, but... <laughs> you still alive, Logan? No, yes, from you in a while. yeah, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just listening to the story. There's stories, Michael. What am I going to do? Constantly interrupt? Jesus. <laughs> Usually do with me. You did with Kurt when I was editing that. Did you know that you were the soundtrack to Lowell's uh, bike ride this morning? I was? You were. Not Kurt, just me. I did a three and or I did a three hour uh, long ride, and two and a half of those hours were you and Kurt chatting. Ah, splendid! Any highlights? <laughs> the end. <laughs> uh, no, it was it's fun. I it really is this race. I, I've always liked it, but there's something about it now. The racers are like family. We communicate with most other racers on the season now, or not most, but many others. And if you're out there listening, hey, we'd like to chat with you. Um, but we we communicate with lots of them. We've met many of the ones from previous seasons. I love listening to the recaps. I just I love this race. I love the producers. I watch the show now. I can hear the storytellers behind asking the questions. Like what question did they just ask to get that elicit that response? And when they're standing around and saying like, no, I don't have much experience with swords. Like you know that the that the camera guy was was standing there in their face, just saying, "How much experience do you have with swords?" Like it's just, I see everything differently now. I see the editing, I see the tasks. It's just it's it's poignant and and I love it. What's your favorite thing about the new season? That's a good question. The fact it's halfway done. <laughs> see how I didn't ask you that question, Michael. Well, I'm just curious because neither you or I are watching this season. Mainly because you know I've not seen a minute of the season. <laughs> Even though I edited yours and Kurt's uh, podcast, I've n- not seen the episode you were talking about. Well, I guess what what my favorite part is, I I love the casting again. I, I really like the people and and getting to know them and getting to know their stories. Martina right now is a highlight, of course. She's We're going to go meet her. We stay in North Vancouver when we do our filming, and apparently her house is just a couple blocks away. So hopefully we oh. can go watch an episode with, with Phil and Martina. And um, yeah. She's just our kind of people. Vancouver crew is becoming quite interesting for Amazing Race alumni with Martina and Phil. Uh, you've got Frankie and Amy. Yeah. We see them when we're there often. And then Zed and Shabir, we met last time. We went and hung out with them, and they're super fun as well. Have you um, seen... Simi and Opie. Yeah, Simi and Opie met... and Burnaby, right? Yeah, we've met them when we're out there, too. Yeah, Aaron even came. He drove like 10 hours um, to come see us when we were there last year during his season. Did he bring you a special uh, epitaph? Yeah, well, he came in a suit and he was in the hearse, and yeah, it was it was awesome. Don't check <laughs> Did a drag what's in the trunk. <laughs> I love the idea of Aaron driving ten hours in a hearse just <laughs> just to go meet meet some new friends. It'll be the first and last time we meet up, guys. <laughs> I swear, the hearse is just is a business expense. I want to meet you at the dead center of town. <laughs> Boom. That actually, it was, and it was for them coming back to where they were eliminated too. So it probably had some some hard memories. 
as long as you just don't go to random hotel rooftops, I, I think they would be okay. Yeah, it's true. So, well, we were talking about this before the podcast, and so you've been listening to the other interviews we've been doing. So what's been the most interesting contrast to hear between the Amazing Race Canada experience versus the Amazing Race US experience? Well, I think the one, and we've we have actually talked a lot with different camera and sound crew that do both. So they've got to see and run both races. And from hearing your discussions, the biggest thing really, I think, is budget, the amount of money that's spent on the U.S. one and the complexities in flying and travel. Ours are all very, you must take this flight at this time and this order. Like it's all very, it's a lot more scripted. Just we have to keep teams together. We It's there's not like unlimited. I think in the States, there's some people who go around and like get five or six different flights just like to see which one is the the best and the ability to, to do more creative travel because you're taking more flights and you have different airlines and all that. So that would be a big one. Um, I've also heard right that they, they go to a, like a fancy sequester place somewhere in the world and that, that would be a bit different than what we do for ours. Yeah, you guys just get sent home, I believe. Right when you get eliminated? Not right when. I think people need a bit of time to cool off. Sometimes people are mad or upset or angry or just you need some time. So everybody has a mandatory period of time that they have to wait out at a sequester location. Call it Margaritaville. <laughs> and uh, so people kind of drink and chill. We, we chose that to be that's our that was our one week uh, winning from the we got an all-inclusive hotel and a spa and everything so that was julie and i went bike riding and did all the stuff on our on our time we were the only team there because the ones before us had all been cleared out and then because it was a keep on racing before ours so and then there was a keep on racing or a non-alim after us so nobody joined us there we had an event just right to finale city in montreal so we just spent the entire time by ourselves there was one staff person and we just kind of chilled but it wasn't, it's not like we were in Hawaii or somewhere, somewhere epic. But it was, it was nice. They treated us very well. And that's one thing I should probably say, I'll say a few times, but CTV, Bell, Insight Productions, everybody treated us like absolute gold the entire time. And I've, I've, they've then all been just amazing. So does the final, does the team of that finish in fourth just, I presume, they probably just head straight to the finish line? Yeah, to Finale City. They say fourth is often the hardest. You have no time to process because you're really you. And the the later legs happen quicker. There's less time in the sequester or not sequester in pit stops. The the first pit stops. I think there's a lot of complexities and a lot of bodies and people. But as it gets smaller, the race gets faster and there's less and less time. So the final four, like Reed and Yvette, they flew right into Montreal and they were. No, it's Frank, Frank, yeah, it's Frank and Amy. So they went, I don't know where they went, actually. They must have come, oh, they came, that's true. So they came, they went right to Finale City. They went right to, to Montreal, but they had a day. So we met them there. We got there a bit early, and we, we met Stefan and Antoine and kind of just hung around because that's where they lived. But then Frankie and Amy, they didn't have the processing time. So they came, they basically showered. They had like, and they were super mad. Like Frankie was like, now not hating julie she was hating ashley um <laughs> so she was like they had no time to process this next time um so they were like yeah when all of us would kind of talk to the racers what's been happening what's going on so they went right barely had any time and then we went right to the the, the mat which is a super long day waiting for everybody in 
the show isn't produced, but the first two, like the the intro and the and the finale, are like they're produced in helicopters and cranes and multiple shots and fake clapping and all that stuff. So that's that we we spend a long time doing that, waiting for the teams to come in. Did Ashley ever call you a fart face, by the way? No, I I have to be careful here what I say. <laughs> but Ashley, I think she did a lot of dub overs. If you go back and watch the show. The words that she used when we were around were not the words that were actually on the episode. I don't know if they could have used a lot of what she was actually saying in on the show. I think that much we assumed. <laughs> so no, I, it was not a fart face in the moment. I'm pretty sure that's. I'm pretty sure that was a dub over. It's not very Mrs. Universe. Yeah, it was funny. We did not know she was Mrs. Universe. So there's all the speculation. That's another whole topic we can talk about. But the speculation and sequester and when you're peeping through the holes, we're all in like one wing of a hotel with like handlers. So you can't leave there at the end of the hotel. And and you hear people coming through and you look out your, your hole. You look out the little people in your doors trying and you see who these other teams are and you're speculating who are they and what their relationship are. And, and then you go down for meals, but you can't talk to anybody or you you're going down for the like... The, the training and rules or media days, but you can't talk to any of the other teams. So you're, everybody's speculating everything. And then you're on the race and Ashley, she kept to herself and, and didn't talk to many of their teams very much. And we tried, but we didn't know the relationship or, or then we found out it was father, son or father, father, daughter. Whoa, whoa. Breaking news. Jesus. Lord. <laughs> <Lot of> twist. <laughs> Sorry, that didn't get revealed on the show. No, it was... <laughs> But we we didn't know until it was Haida Gwaii. And so we were there in Haida Gwaii, and she was like a legit celebrity in, in Haida Gwaii. Like people, like they call her, that's Ashley Calling Bull. Like, it's so like, how do you know that? She's like, that's that's Mrs. Universe. Like she was like, yeah, a huge deal to them. So then we found out, but we were like, we were really shocked. It's like, oh, that's going to be an unfortunate edit for her, um, for Canada to see her. Um, <laughs> some of the some of the statements and, and behaviors, but... No, she came across very much like a Mrs. Universe, which is good. What did you uh, reckon everyone else did? So we noticed off the bat, I mean, there are a lot of sisters. That's what we thought. We Like all the teams, we thought they were all like sister teams or something. Like there are a lot of these young, good looking, like very sweet girls, we thought. And we had no idea like Frankie and Amy would be mother daughter. So we just thought they were all friends or, or sisters or something. But yeah, lot, lots of the female teams. We couldn't really tell, like, we didn't really know. I had a really hard time trying to speculate about any of them. And I was like, I was like, I'm not, not a very good psychologist. I'm not getting a very good read on all these people. Um, we had heard somebody said the exes along the line. And so forever, we're trying to figure out who are the exes because we couldn't, we, we didn't know who that would be because Jillian and Emmett held hands. They like were laughing. They were like flirting. Like it was just this really interesting relationship. Like it was a fairly new breakup, but they're still super good friends. So they they held hands and stuff. So we're like, well, they don't seem like exes. I think they're together. And so we didn't know who was who. And we got called Jillian and Emmett a few times <laughs> in in like different interviews or people said, yeah. so Jillian and Emmett, like they, people just had their names in their head, I guess. But we had speculation about us. We had because I'm I'm blind. I didn't actually bring out the cane during that sequester time. So as we were walking around, I'm always holding Julie's hand or I'm always have my hand on her shoulder as we cruise around. And even if to go to the bathroom or go somewhere else, we will go out together. And so when we started to talk to people, they were like, man, that couple, we thought you guys were like really in love. Like you guys could not keep your hands off each other. 
And then Emmett actually thought, she's like, nobody is that loving. Like Lowell must be abusive. Like that I had to like always like, <laughs> like control her and always be with her and have her by my side. The 10 foot rule, just like Amazing Race. Yeah, yeah. You can't leave each other's side. And then some people thought we were, uh, I forget who it was, maybe Anne and Tanya. Somebody told us they thought we were professional figure skaters. How long were you guys actually in the initial sequester then if people were starting to think figure skaters? Yeah, well, we, so we were there a week. Um, it's It was quite a long time. And it you get there and you people come at different times. Some of the local ones come a little bit later, it seemed. They kind of just take Ubers or taxis in. Um, then as soon as you get there, production goes through all your all your belongings, make sure you have no like contraband. Then you kind of get in your room and in the room, you can't watch TV, no phones, no internet, um, no books, nothing. Like it's completely cleared out. You have nothing in your room at all. So everyone's like reading the food, like the food services menu and like shampoo bottles. And yeah, you have just nothing to read. It's like my new flat at the moment. No internet, like no flat. phone, no TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you do great on the uh, yeah. I heard that the sequester for uh, Big Brother's way worse, so I I don't know if that would be tough. Theirs is way worse. Yeah, Jill was saying it was like her sequester was super long, way worse than Amazing Race Canada, like way longer. And then you're by yourself, so you don't even have somebody else. Right, you don't even have yeah, no one to talk to and make up random conversation with. No. But to be fair, some of the teams on the new season of Amazing Race Canada don't know each other, so, you know, they were probably sequestered separately. Yeah, but they get so much time to learn about each other, though, Michael. Like, Melissa and Nancy, you know, they before the race, they were complete strangers, but a week of sequester, and they could be the best of friends. I'd love to know what people were speculating their relationship was, because, you know, it could have been literally anything. Yeah. <laughs> and Taylor and Courtney's, to be fair. What I can't imagine is doing the race as an ex. Like... Dijon and Lalani, like that, the, we've heard some stories too and the fireworks that are going on there. And like, you spend so much time together all the time. You have to be beside each other. Like, it's just, if you're annoyed with each other, you got to find a way to work it out. And if you're next, you obviously haven't found a way to be able to work out your problems. So it just is intense. No separate rooms during pit stops for exes and anyone else on in the past? Not on our season. Jill and Emmett had the same room all the way along but i i i'm not sure what happened to dijon and lalani i think eventually it got so bad that i think from what i remember the stories from production is i think they they may have got them separate at the end because it was getting pretty intense i love x teams so much i think they are my favorite relationship just because you tend to get really really crazy people who think i know i'm gonna go an amazing race and i'm gonna do it with someone who i don't actually love anymore <laughs> i know it's it's an intense relationship for sure. Speaking with uh, with Jillian, she took a lot of hits on social media while your guys' season was airing. Is she one of the one of those that probably has no interest in doing uh, Amazing Race Canada again? Is she done with TV in general? I uh, I don't think we've had that conversation with Jill, but I think she'd probably do it again. She learned. Like she did super good. Well, of course, she won Big Brother, so she did well in that environment. But it's a different beast, the Amazing Race, and the anxiety. And I think she didn't realize her own level of anxiety in that. And then she got emotionally dysregulated throughout, and she would realize that. But Jill is so amazing. Like, she she is super sweet. She's kind to everybody um, during the race. Like, we didn't see that side of her during the race. She, we always, with the running joke, she would always go, Emmett! <laughs> so we were all Emmett! yelling. We're all yelling Emmett all the time, just like Jillian. But she's super sweet. Like she's a kindergarten teacher or, or she teaches young kids. 
absolutely wonderful. So it was really sad to see her getting hate. Um, and what they didn't show was that Emmett didn't listen to her very well. So Emmett would do things and like get them lost or get a penalty and they wouldn't show her and him having that conversation first. It was just once it got like a bit more heated. So it happened and she, I think she's fine with that. It, it showed what, what she was like during those moments, but to everybody else, um, she was a gem. Yeah, well, I bet you Emmett would be one of those who would uh, bring in the uh, uh, Christmas lights when asked by Jillian to get electrolytes, I bet. <laughs> totally, and then you just have Jillian screaming and going, I don't need electric lights, I need electrolytes. I- I'm sick of no teamwork. <laughs> so they were awesome. They were super competitive, and that was just, you saw, they wanted to win. They were there to win, and they they were really, really good and really strong, but some of their emotional regulation um, skills could be tuned up a little bit. Will Emmett ever bring Subway into the Amazing Race Canada as a future sponsor? Uh, will, will Amazing Race bring them in? Well, yeah, because Emmett's been uh, does advertisements for Subway over the past three or four years on Twitter. Yeah, no, he's he's got a good thing going there. Um, hopefully, it doesn't end as badly as the last guy who represented Subway. <laughs> it could only improve from there. I. I really, I really don't want to know what the headlines could be uh, five years down the road. Yeah, just put it this way: your, Milkman delivers. Yeah, keep your head up, Emmett. We're, but yeah, no, I. Hey, that would be a fun. How many Subway sandwiches can you eat in an hour or something? I don't know what the challenge would be, but Logan would win. Yes, I would. <laughs> Logan yeah. loves eating six inches. Oh God, that's where you're gonna go with him. That's the route you chose to take. Yeah. Whenever you mention Subway, someone has to make a six-inch joke. I've cut back, though. I've cut back. Only one sub a month now. Yeah, it's, it's funny. The Subway, I don't know what it is. They, it's, it's their special sauce, but that smell, like you can just tell yeah. when you're near a Subway. Me and Logan have had this conversation before. I can always tell when a Subway is near. Yeah, I concur. I don't know what it is. It's just the smell of Subway. Yeah, it's their Subway special sauce. Yes, as Gardening Taylor would say, it's a special sauce at a Subway. Do you remember your best unaired pun, Lowell? I don't. Though I remember a time. So they were trying to set me up for puns sometimes. Like I could tell. And then I'd know that I would like botch it miserably. And then later somebody would be like, yeah, you missed a chance. So one of them, we were doing one of our interviews. And they're like, so Lowell, you don't have a lot of sight. But what do you have a lot of? (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, tenacity, determination. But they're like, I don't have a lot of sight, but I have a lot of vision. They're looking for things like that, and they're like setting me up, and I would like kept disappointing them. Um, so then when it was like when it was like game on, when we were at the fish hatchery in Calgary, Bickerton walks by as we're like getting dressed up. He's like, Hey Lowell, how many fish puns do you know? And so that it was just like, All right, game on. So we it was <laughs> nonstop in the fish hatchery, like it was like officially the most puns of any time. That was probably the the height of of the puns, but I don't remember because everything's situational. So it's not like I don't I don't have like with pre pre scripts going into it. It's just like wherever my mind, whatever loose attribution I can make, and whatever words kind of sound good. So sometimes they they flop, and other times there's some pretty good ones. I think it was always better when uh, Julie got involved as well. Like you knew it was it was on a roll when even Julie was like, I can't even resist these anymore. Well, and that's like, the it's. It's funny because I think I get the the like Lowell as the the amazing race put together an online exclusive like Lowell's the punniest racer ever and they put together a bunch of puns but Julie on her own right 
has awesome puns. Like she, if you go back and look, like she, she would keep up to me on them. She was back and forth. She'd make them on her own. Like she's, she's awesome. The couples that pun together stay together. How long did it take for racers to realize that the Queen Charlotte Islands was now called Haidegwai? Uh, somebody mentioned it. So in our clue, it just said Haidegwai. And I got on air and I, like, I don't know where Haidegwai is. I'd never heard that before. We'd always heard and referred to it as Queen Charlotte Islands. But when we were, I think when we landed, so some of the production, I think, after we did our interviews, like, what do you know about Haidegwai? And I think some people, production was would kind of clued us into to what it actually was. And then when every time we get to the next airport, everyone's like scrambling to try to find information about the next place and trying to find internet and trying to do some research. And so as soon as we got back into Vancouver, and then we had a, a layover before, like waiting before we flew off to Hideaway, we were all doing research and trying to figure out and looking at the different islands and you know, figuring stuff out. So we got to know it quite well. At the start of the race, when you guys are all in sequester, do your expectations of who you assume would do well by the end of the season match up? Or were there some surprises like, oh, I didn't expect Stefan Kristen to completely dominate? No, we and so there's speculation and, and you kind of knew going into that they wanted a female team to win. Like they, the, an all female team hadn't won Amazing Race Canada yet. And then we saw, wow, there's a lot of female, female teams. And then you could tell like Steph and Chris were like the package. So we totally knew that they, that they would make it very far. Like they were funny. They were smart. They were athletic. Like there was, the, we, we knew that they would do very well. And then Emmett and Jillian, same thing. We knew that they would do very, very well um, going through. They had kind of all the, all the ticks um, check boxes as well. Um, we thought Anne and Tanya would do better, and I think they would have if it wasn't for um, transportation issues. We were a little bit – we thought, like, all male teams have a lot of strengths. We thought Brand, um, Anthony and Brandon would do better, but they were super young. And you could tell they made a mistake on almost every single task the entire time. Like, when we got sent to go, we did the first John Says Go when we raced across the lake. And we got our backpacks. And by the time everybody got their backpacks, they were already gone. But they showed up at the first task, and you're supposed to, like, get words to translate. It was a puzzle. They started ripping all of the, the names mm-hmm. off of all the trees. Like, they were taking down the course. And then, they, like, production's like, no, no, no. It was like, you got to leave them on there. Like, so they just seemed to, like, make little mistakes every, every task. They were just young. Um, they were super strong. The youthful eagerness. Yeah, youthful eagerness, soup, but they didn't think things through. They just did it, and they got there fast. So we knew that they would be strong and fast, but um, we were quite thankful that they, they went out pretty quick. How would you guys have played the express pass if you had been given one or found it yourself? Man, one of those what-if moments. Things, A lot of things could have could have happened different for us to have been up at that front. But the if we would have been given one or if we would have found it ourselves – the style that we did is, I mean, you hold it, it's there to keep you from getting out. So you wait until you have to use it instead of this whole, I'm going to use it to try to get first place or like jump ahead. Like the people who, who use them too quick, I'm always a bit sad for them that they, they did that. And Frankie and Amy did that too. It's like just to jump ahead. They really wanted to get first. So they didn't even know what the task was. They didn't even show up to the airplane task. Nobody knew they had it at that point, but they just ran up swapped it in and took off and just because they wanted to get a first place win that day and that's that doesn't make any sense to me 
No, it's all about not being last rather than always being first. Unless you want that prize. And I think that it kind of gets in your head a bit. Like if you're if you're ending near the back for a while and you're you don't like that possibly. Like they just really wanted for themselves to get in to get in a first place, and they thought that was the opportunity to do it. But that was a task you just had to do. Like it, it wasn't challenging. You just had to go up on a plane. You're gonna get it eventually and come back down. Where they almost got eliminated later because they couldn't they couldn't do the welding. So it would have been way better for them to have done the flight and then did express pass through the welding and then finish the episode. So instead of what Frankie and Amy did, what we would have done is, is held it. And I think like Steph and Chris, if you can get to the point where you don't need it and you get to the mat, sure. That's too, it's, it's there as a keep you from being eliminated. Are there any fun uh, Monty stories? Cause I feel like we love Monty quite unironically, but he hasn't been speaking to us recently and we're getting a bit sort of obsessed about it. He's Aww, been, he's been I'm sorry. Yeah. He's been blanking us. I've not heard from him in a while. I'm sorry for your loss. That sounds yeah. like a difficult relationship. It is. It's an abusive relationship. It's un- unrequited love. Yeah, he made us stay within 10 feet of him, and uh, everyone thought that we were in an abusive relationship. John is so awesome. So we have, I, I don't know, I don't know if anybody doesn't like Monty, but we really appreciate him and thought it was great. But you don't get to interact with him at all or during. Um, so he's there. He's like this presence that's around, and you see him the first time. We were doing uh, media interviews in Toronto and you're going through the big CTV building and everybody's rotating through different people. And John walks like we were not expecting. He just walks out of the room and we've been told we can't talk to him yet. So he's just standing there in front of us. He goes, hey, guys. And Julie's like, she's a super rule follower, so didn't want to say anything. And so I'm like, hey, John. And yeah, so that was our first meeting. But we can't we couldn't talk to him and we'd be on the same airplane with them. or we'd be around, but you just couldn't interact. All you had was the time on the mat until at the end. And then there was a bit of sequester, or not sequester, at the um, finale city when we were all sitting around waiting for the other racers. He was like practicing his like lines and we're getting ready to, to do this stuff for the end. So he, he chatted with us a bit. He's super funny. Yeah, he had a really good read on all the other teams and we got his feed, feedback and feeling. And he did some like Emmett impressions. Julian! Like he, he's super funny. Um, he, he actually did a legit job of having a relationship with every racer, which is really cool. Um, and then afterwards, we barely get to see him. There's a bit of an after party and, and John's kind of chatting with everybody. And then we take off. And so we really have had very limited interactions with him, though he did write me a support letter to I was trying to get into a, an exclusion to get to the Paralympics in Rio. And he wrote me a really sweet, supportive letter. Um, and then we've we've sent him like baby gifts and we chat lots on social media. And then we met him at one of his talks. So we we were at a talk with him as so says um, we were social ambassadors and he was the keynote speaker. So we sat with him there and hung out and yeah, getting quite a relationship. So next time we go to Victoria, we'd like to do some John Montgomery time. But I'm sorry that he uh, he hasn't been reaching out to you guys. No, he, he's not been responding. It's been uh, been very one-sided. I'm starting to take it personally. I get to meet him in October. Does he know yet? Have you warned him? I don't know if he's checked his Twitter or not, but yes, he'll be he'll be stuck with with my presence. What's happening in October? He is coming to my alma mater. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's doing a, an amazing race scavenger hunt around the university campus, and then he's giving a talk uh, later on that evening. Nice. His talk is really good. He's he's super funny. And then Logan is going to try and get a lock of his hair. <laughs> Their restraining order doesn't allow that. 
Remember the 20-foot rule. It not only applies to your partner on the race, but it applies to me. Only thing that's allowed within 20 feet is this can of Campbell's soup. Mmm, meaty. I think he's got one of the best jobs in the world. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. Like, he he gets to go to those places and do those activities. Um, man, yeah. A couple of months ago, we talked to the host of Belgium Mall, and I did say to him, I think you have the best job in the world. And he's like, no, I don't think I do. I think some people have much better jobs than me. And I'm like, dude, you get to just stand there and mess with people for a living and go to cool places. Like, there's nothing better. Yeah. Live your dream, Michael. One day, that yeah. could be you. We were dropping subtle hints that we want to be involved, but he didn't pick up on them. I don't think my hint was subtle when I asked for a job on production. <laughs> Did he actually respond to that one? Sadly, no. I got to translate into Flemish before I draw any attention. I'll ask him at the uh, the finale party next year for you. Thank you. Unless you're there yourself, of course. Yeah, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. Be a nice surprise for Jill. Lots of cursing with him too, I'm sure. Oh, of course. He has a restraining order as well. Uh, have you got anything else, Logan? I think we actually covered it. Like, I can't wait until we do this interview series where we have the top 20 interview podcast moments and we can just throw this interview at number one in a special half-hour episode rather than getting everyone together for a, a midway reunion. Yeah, how does it feel to be the number one moment of the entire season halfway through? <laughs> just oh, true. Oh, that I, I missed that connection. That was a bit of an odd episode, and I don't know if it was communicated very well. So we had a lot of people that are like, what is this? <laughs> um, this is just stuff like it would have been neat if they could have used some unseen footage because there was so much stuff that could have been been on there. It could have been like if they were just going to do an um, edited show. But we were happy to to get, I guess, a moment. I don't even remember. What was our moment? I think it was just you guys generally. OK. Just you being you. <laughs> just us being us. So, Yay. Yeah, we got like the BMO moment when we were like crying when we saw our kids for the first time on screen when we did the, like the the iPad. And Was there any explanation from production as to why you guys were the first season to not have a mid-season reunion special? I think it was the Olympics. The Olympics messed a lot. Like it changed a lot of sponsors. So they lost Air Canada and Canadian Tire and so a bunch who sponsor Paralympics those years. And then I think because it, it might have been lack of funding and then it could have just they needed just a break week. So we didn't know there was going to be another episode. We had just heard that there was going to be a break in between a one week pause. And then they didn't they didn't tell us much why there was going to be. And even during our elimination, we got to Toronto and most it was during the holiday time. So like none of the shows were doing interviews. So we got no morning show time like everybody else got the other shows. But when we got there, there's like a few phone interviews and got to talk to Wayne Arthurson. And oh, so that was your highlight. Wayne Arthurson. He's uh, had breakfast in our house since then. He came to Lethbridge for a book club and we had him over for breakfast. So that's fine. It's, it's been fun getting to know like these people that we were reading before and like before we went on the race, kind of reading some past stuff, listening to you guys and meeting you guys. So it's been fun. That's another really fun outcome. Like we got to be part of this amazing race family, especially through Canada. Um, but I'd love to expand and kind of meet some American racers at some point too. So we have this different experience of getting to know people, but also all the extras, right? All the other people surrounding it. Um, it's been super fun. I love the idea that we've sort of gatecrashed the Amazing Race family slightly, even though we have zero connections to anything and are likely to have zero connections to anything generally. 
you get people who listen to you and you'll get like, yeah, Hal on the show or you'll get people that are you'll get people that are interested in the show and a lot of racers. I don't know about a lot, but there are racers like me. I think Frankie listens to these things and others just we're interested in in this in general. And then when you guys are are so close and speculating and and have your ideas and feedback, it just it anybody who's passionate about it. We just like the passion. And I think there's only one quick fire question that we normally ask that we haven't asked you. Who would win in a fight between a baboon and a badger? Uh, I'm I'm badger all the way on that one. Okay. That's a tough fight though. I mean, a, a baboon in a tree and a badger on the ground, and like, when are they going to get into a fight? I need a scenario here. An uh, octagon, UFC style. Maybe that baboon then it can climb up the cage. Do like a launch attack from up top. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough question. I actually thought you were going to ask us a different question. Which but one did you think I was going to ask? If I'm, if we're pregnant, and all right, yeah, Logan tends to ask that question rather than me. I guess I'll ask it now. Then, are either of you guys pregnant? Well, I'm not, but uh, but Julia's. But we're not telling our family yet, so don't tell anybody. We're first to know. Would that make you feel awesome? Just like uh, the insider information. I was going to say, if, you, if you've not changed out your cycling gear yet, it'd probably be quite hard for you to hide the bump if you were pregnant. <laughs> that is, that is true. And with all the cycling I do, I, I don't think my my chances of having fathering children right now are very good either. So no, 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 no little ones on the way. Your parents can find out and just just link them to this podcast next week. Just be like, hey, guys, I've got quite the news for you. Skip to one hour and 33 minutes of this podcast I recorded with Michael Harmstone and Logan Saunders. Yeah, they'd, they'd appreciate that, eh? People do pregnancy announcements in very creative ways now, Lowell. Yeah. It's true. It's Can't true. wait for Courtney Taylor's. <laughs> we're at the silly end of the podcast. Do we quit while we're ahead? Do we keep going? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you one of my, so when we go in those, like, what if moments, the two biggest what if moments that I have, when I was, like, laying in the sequester, like, hotel post-race before the finale and everything, I just couldn't like I was hit by this like big wall of grief. It was like re- like I had to incorporate this loss into my life at somehow. And so I, I hit it then. And Julie was like totally fine. Like all the stress was off, but she hit it like months later. But when we were just laying there, it's like my brain could not shut off as I was trying to like process and get sleep again after crossing the international dateline twice within five days. So I was we were laying there and the first one was the uh, Skytram and Jasper realizing like it was 30 extra pounds of bungee carrying but i couldn't see the rungs they were black with a black background so i was going across slowly trying to feel my way and i got close to the end i think there was only two left or one at the end um fell with one hand and reached to grab again so i couldn't see and it was a bit further and i and i fell but the one i was i regret is not being able to use like put my feet up the girls were allowed to use their feet to get across but the guys we weren't but some were so i was like i just wish i I did that and got across and that would have changed our placement that day. Um, we would have been first or second, which would have got us closer the next day for like, it's just all of those pieces. You kind of play the what if, if it happened. And then elimination day was one of those ones where we, Julie had roughly had a conversation about if there's something with, there's a task that has to do with um, sport related material, like balls, um, sport balls, footballs, soccer balls we wouldn't do that and so when it said soccer or sailing my first gut said oh i want to do soccer i've never done anything with sailing i have no idea what to do so she she thought that we would do sailing but at that point she'd kind of given up it was a keep on racing joel and ashley magically appeared um 
back again in the race, um, right in the nick of time <laughs> and took off past us. And so it was just like kind of disheartening, super tired, hadn't had a rest. We had no pit stop that day and she was just really missing the kids. So she was kind of like, fine, Lowell, do what you want. And then, so we went to soccer. We were doing the challenge behind that challenge. There was a, you got to kick the soccer balls back and forth between each other as you do the drills. But then after you finish that, you're supposed to play against an entire team and that mm-hmm. didn't make it on TV, but there was an entire second part to that. And she was worried her, she herself had to, to score a goal against an entire team without my help because I wow. wouldn't be much help. So she, she thought I, we can't do this. So let's just cut our losses and go. We had, we almost had done the drill. We were like, she had kicked it and it just, it just missed. And so we were going to do one more time, but like, let's cut our losses and go. We found out later that if we would have just got that goal in or within the next time you make it to the soccer game they tell you that you'd get your clue after 15 minutes oh or scoring the goal so we would have been second that day behind steph and chris oh. and then frankie and amy would have been eliminated which would have relieved julie at that at that point <laughs> um and then we would have gone to cuba for non-elim and then the challenges actually got harder the one after that in eastern canada which i really wanted to go to some physical task and then there was the blind the blind task to get you into finale so Wait, it just like you would have rocked <laughs> oh, i think so like yeah memory and memory and, and doing things blind so that's in our mind like we also could have been out first episode but there's all with those little moments like ah oh, what if we were like two minutes away from being second place that day and it's just but that's the game that's the race and so every racer has one of those moments is there anybody you know from like the first season or two that all these years later they still replay these what if scenarios and still have them hit pretty hard? Yeah, everybody that I've talked to since, ironically, I've never met anybody from season two, but we've met a bunch from all the other seasons. Um, everyone seems to have these um, haunted by these, even from season one, like just these little that that one thing, that little moment that kind of haunts them still. The what if moment. The what if moment, yeah, it just replays in your head for very, very strongly for the first few days and weeks, and then you kind of relive it through the show as it's airing, and then as the show kind of dissipates and you kind of lose the limelight and people start forgetting about you, um, you just start you start to go into this reminiscence of of the race and the past, um, what you would do differently, and it's it's pretty vulnerable. It's it's a vulnerable yeah. experience to to show yourself on TV because. You can look, you don't know how they're going to show you. You can look silly or stupid or, or unkind or whatever. A lot of people have, have, have these struggles. And a lot of people want that redemption of, I, I want to do it again. Is there anything you want everyone to know about your season? Uh, no, I think I've covered lots of it today. Just, just really that it is a very entertaining TV show. So you go in knowing it's not just a race. So production has the right to do what they want. And you know that going in. So while things may not seem fair at times, that is what you've signed up for. So there are the moments that you think, well, that doesn't seem fair. There's been some production or there's a there's a production problem. Error and errors happen. But you just know that behind the scenes, there are some very, very talented people making the show, um, pouring a lot of themselves into and treating the, the racers very well. It's just for me, it's just gratitude for having been been chosen and having a really good time being seven out of 11 episodes yeah and then if there's an all-stars man one would be a little bit hurt to not be asked but not that we're <laughs> expected to be um but i just i'd love to do it oh and and i got eye surgery since then oh, cool. and i could see actually a lot better now yay oh wow the insight production sponsor i know that, that seems so right also so 
I had cataract surgery in my right eye. And my right eye during the show was nearly completely foggy. Like it looked like looking through a, a, a film all the time. So I could barely use it to read, especially if it was bright. I couldn't, couldn't see very much. But since I got my cataract surgery, it's like four times better than my left eye now. And it's still not awesome vision. I'm still legally blind, completely night blind. But my, my clarity of that eye is so much better. I was like, oh, man, I could do these tasks way better now. So. You've got unfinished business. I have unfinished business, yeah. <laughs> but until then, I, I, I also have unfinished business with trying to get to the uh, Paralympics. So I have lots of other things that are going on. I'm very excited to keep living and loving and laughing and riding bikes. So in summary, you don't have 2020 vision, but you have a 2020 vision. I have a 2020 vision, absolutely. What's the most most misunderstood thing about Amazing Race Canada? I think it's what what do they have and what can they make for their money, right? I, I know it would be awesome if they could travel more, and I think they'd want to, but we just don't have the sponsors or the, or the budget. So I think the most misunderstood, I think one is is that it's completely just a documented race, right? Like this is Canada's number one watched and number one viewed Canadian television show of all time. Like it, they make an entertaining show and it isn't just about documenting. I don't think the amazing race us either. Like it, it's designed, it's, they have lots of really smart people creating story arcs and they have lots of really smart people creating story arcs and like creating challenges and trying to elicit responses and doing things. So the game makers are there and you're cruising around inside. So some people think, right, it's happening exactly like it is on TV. And and I think that's a misunderstanding. It's what the show wants, but it's they're making TV at the same time. And all of us racers know it as we're going. Like that's on one hand, you're 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 racing. On the other hand, you have to follow the rules and it's a production at the end of the day. So cameramen are standing outside your vehicle as you drive away, you stop, they jump in, then you drive away. Like you're, they're getting shots, they're they're doing things to to make a show, and maybe that it just happens and it's easy. Like there are thousands of people who work on this show. The cameramen, the soundmen are amazing. Um, all the zones, the production, the casting. Like it's just, it isn't a small small deal. It's it's pretty huge. I don't know if that answered the question, but I'm I'm in awe. I think I think they've. I can't even imagine what it'd be like in the U.S. version, but even seeing the scale of Canada, it's it's amazing how many people work on this show. The logistics is just incredible. The logistics, like they go to a, a city two weeks ahead of time to set everything up and, and plan and test. And they have local volunteers and they have like, it's just, it's nonstop people and cogs and wheels. And it's, it's, it's amazing logistically. I can't even imagine. I think one person said at the beginning when they were still, when they're first like pitching episode one of season one, like way back in the day, somebody said like, it couldn't be done. It's too logistically impossible to do this kind of a show. And Amazing Race has found a way to do it. It's very cool. And one final question that Logan wanted me to ask. Will you take him on a velodrome? Absolutely. Next time you're in Toronto and I'm there, if we all can meet up and we'll go to uh, to England. Let's go to London or wherever your your uh, velodrome is. Let's do palodromes on the velodrome. Get in a race car and do this thing. Deal, guys. Deal. Deal, deal, deal. Deal? Deal, deal. Deal, deal, deal. So, thank you for listening to this Amazing Race Canada podcast. You can join us next week for another interview. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, or on Twitter pages, MD Harmstead for me, and Logs for Gracky for Logan. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Where's the button to stop?